Inside 20, for those who desire to hunt close. Brought to you by Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia, Big Jim's Bow Company, Gunshy Archery, Vantage Point Archery, Custom Kings Traditional Archery, and Triple T Strings. Inside 20 is a separate entity from our sponsors. The information shared from each podcast are the beliefs of the Inside 20 associates and the guests participating. Man, it is an exciting time of year. It is right now, by the end of October, it is a great time to be in the woods. We're trying to spend as much time as we can to balance in between family and work and, and just as much time as we can get in the woods right now we are. I'm actually getting ready to go to the Midwest. It'll be my first trip out of state to deer hunt. So I'm really excited about that. But tonight we've got a, a special guest on and we're going to talk about everything that we love and that's deer hunting and so that'll be that'll be the tonight's topic and so tonight's guest is nick kravaniak and we're going to talk to him about his journey and what he has done so far as far as traditional goes and how he got to this point and what he loves to do um, on the side he also runs vivid taxidermy and so talk a little bit about that and and we'll just see where this thing goes we've done a few personal journey episodes and you know it really seems like we've got a lot of good feedback on those and so that's kind of what we want to do today so nick we're excited to have you on man i know you've done a few podcasts this is going to be a breeze for you so first of all how are you doing and then second of all just tell us a little bit about yourself where you're from and some some highlights about you know where where your season has gone so far this year um, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. And, uh, um, it's, um, things are great. You're finding me in a great time of year. Um, we're on the, like probably the last little warm front of October. It's getting ready to chill out here and have a nice cold front around Halloween. So everybody's looking forward to that. It's a really exciting time of year, but, um, a little bit about me. Um, I was born and raised in Ohio, Eastern Ohio. I, um, five, eight brown hair, blue eyes, marital status, um, single. Uh, so, uh, looking as if you can skin and flesh hide, slip into those DMS. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't grow up in a hunting family. Um, my, you know, honestly, if you, uh, if you set two long guns in front of my dad and asked him which one to rifle was a rifle and which one was a shotgun, he wouldn't be able to, he wouldn't be able to point that out to you. Um, my parents weren't raised around hunting, no experience with it. I just had a, a burning desire as a young person, like really, really young, I'd wake up and I didn't want to watch Saturday morning cartoons. I wanted to watch, um hunting shows on espn or tnn or what have you mossy oak hunting the country and all these different things and i just had i had a desire to learn about it so my parents had a they had a task on their hands because they could tell right away like i i was going to be a hunter and i needed to hunt and so they uh they did a really good job as non-hunters to help facilitate that but i grew up um really with a lot of gear that was hand-me-down type stuff that uh, we would get from like family members that were, you know, they'd get into bow hunting, then get out of it. And so I'd have some hand-me-down gear like by family members, like an uncle or something like that. And I, I just uh, made do with what I could. And around 
11, 12 years old, I, I had a, a friend of the family offer to take me bow hunting. So I passed the hunter safety class and right off the bat, I started hunting with a bow, uh, but a compound bow. And my first deer hunt was with a bow. I was 12 years old, but, um, since then it's, it's, you know, my hunting journey's just taken tons of turns and it's elevated. And, um, I, I'm, for somebody that comes from a non-hunting family, I'm, I'm very involved in hunting so much so that I, you know, I have a taxidermy business and, um, I've been involved in some guiding. Um, I've done all sorts of different things related to hunting and, uh, worked at a butcher shop, butchering deer. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of unique, uh, perspective. And of course, you know, I kind of have a unique perspective on mentor mentorship. So uh, just in, in what kind of people need and what I think people should focus on to become good hunters. So that's awesome. Yeah. man. I think yeah, your journey for sure. It sounds like it's been, um, it's been unique in the sense of when you started bow hunting us early, I think for the, for the average person, they may probably didn't start at that point, especially not coming from a hunting family. It's very similar to my journey. Same, same situation. Uh, I didn't have anybody that cared about, deer hunting that nobody cared about bow hunting uh for that fact and uh i don't know like you said there's there are some good things that are shown uh on on tv and and through the hunting industry and i think it's changed yes yeah, some since uh since probably when we were growing up but like you said those uh those tapes the and the videos on the hunting network it they they inspired you right you wanted to give it a try and so there's something to be said about that i think it is important i think people do get inspired by seeing other people complete strangers i think if you're doing it in the right light that you can mentor people in that sense and you don't even know who, who you're impacting right especially if you're doing it in a positive light i think that's more important than anything right well and that's all i had you know for a while like if i wanted anything to do with hunting or if i wanted to like hear a hunting story or see a hunting story um, my mother would oftentimes, you know, I'm one of five. So she would just for a little bit of like, probably to like get us out of her hair, she'd take us to the library. She loved to read. So she would go to the library and look for books and she'd kind of let us run around and pick stuff out. And I'd always go to different sections, sections where I could find a book on archery, find a book on hunting. And I just, even like, I remember before I could even really <laughs> read that well, I just wanted to look at pictures of people with animals. And I remember like books about Miles Keller and like uh, the Wenzel brothers and different things like that. And I remember, you know, eventually being able to read, um, still not that great at it, but I, I, I figured it out and I would, uh, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd soak up any, I guess they call it, they call it content now but I'd soak up anything that I could that was affiliated with hunting or archery or shooting or deer. And I just couldn't get enough of it. So I kind of, you know, took what was available to me until I finally had like some actual individuals reach out and say, Hey, I'll take you hunting. And that was, you know, that then it becomes a game changer. Yeah. And if those folks would have never reached out to you, who knows where that would have gone? It, it might've gone to where it's at today, or it might've stopped, right? If you never had that opportunity, I think that that is a testimony for anybody who feels like there could be somebody they know, whether it's in their same age group or somebody who's younger. I mean, you never know the impact you can make on that person's life. And, and yes, we joke around that 
hunting takes a lot of time up from other things in our life. And if you're not careful, it could take priority over things that are more important and it does cost a lot of money and time. And, but it is something that is, uh, it's a good, it's a good hobby and it's, it's a good lifestyle to get into, especially a lot of these other things that young people are getting into now. Um, and so with that, you have an opportunity to influence somebody in a, in a good positive light. And I think that that is, what people should look at when they do share stuff, right? And social media has changed that. You know, before you could anybody, not anybody could share things unless they produced a magazine or a book or they were lucky enough to have an article published about them in that. Now, because of social media, anybody can share anything they want at any point in time, any hour of the day. So I think that's changed it. But the the approach should be the same. Approach should not change. Yeah, you should really seek to that's it, it the the waters have been muddied by social media on who is a who actually is a wealth of knowledge and who can speak from a level of experience and who um appears to be a wealth of knowledge and appears to be able to speak from a level of experience based on their ability to purchase things or have things given to them um because of their follower counts and things like that so that is kind of tough uh, it's one thing that I, I worry about for people that are, you know, maybe um, coming into hunting late or somebody that might be a kid like me. Um, they have more access to any of this information than I ever did as a young person in the 90s, you know, pre-internet. Um, but their ability to distinguish the BS from the real good information is... Uh, you know, it's it's going to be hard for them because, like I said, the, the the waters have been so muddied by just junk. That's right. It's real, That's exactly real, right. Real, real out and out junk. So I worry it about is. that, but I I can't worry about that too much. It's like one of those things, like like politics. You can't you can't focus on it too much. All you can focus on is you and your circle, and you know, change you know, affect the people around you in a positive manner. So I. I try to do that, you know, when I, with young people and, um, you know, even I've, I've helped older people just trying to be a, uh, somebody that can help them along the way, not necessarily taking them hunting, um, but advice and, and giving people tips on different things like that. Like, you know, if they screwed up a situation with the deer, just help it, talking them through it and maybe making them think about it differently or how they could approach things differently next time because that's the main teacher you know we talk about all these books and we talk about podcasts and youtube and all these different things that can teach you things about hunting but um you need to get out there and make the mistakes like you know you've got to get out there and get winded like not just once not just twice but like 20 30 times you've got to get out there and I'm not encouraging people to, you know, wittingly wound deer. Don't ever do that, but you're going to wound deer and you're not just going to wound one or two or three. You're going to wound a lot of them. If you hunt a lot, um, you want to limit that. You're going to get better and better at it. Um, That's you're exactly going right. to, you're going to, I can treat, speak to that for sure. Really, you, there's all sorts of mistakes that you have to make. Like you, you, you need to go make these mistakes and no podcast is going to, tell you um what they are and how to deal with them and how to fix them 
necessarily it's because so much of it's situational and yeah. and that's that's my biggest takeaway being somebody that didn't have a ton of mentorship or somebody that i could hunt with like a dad or a you know a family member or something on a consistent basis i had to learn a lot of this on my own and now being into it you know over 25 years i'm i'm realizing that it the, the biggest teachers are the mistakes just like life and you've yeah. got to get out yeah, that's exactly right. And two, I think another problem that we all fall in the trap of, and I, I would say if you haven't, you're probably you know lying to yourself. But that's a comparison aspect, right? You see so much on social media. Maybe you've had some failed attempts. Maybe you've had a bad run at it, especially season to season. And you see success posts, and you're like, I'm not seeing deer. I haven't had the opportunity, right? So I think. That's another thing that people that are starting out and they're they're giving it a try and they end up having bad situations unfold and they don't find success right away. And they might see that and they get discouraged and you and you, you can't think that way because you don't know really you don't know their story. Um, you might think you do, but you don't know their story and it and everybody's story is different for that fact. And that's what makes it special is that it's your unique story. And like you said, you've got to go and keep trying. And eventually those hard lessons you've learned, you may not apply it the next hunt or even the next 10 hunts, but you at some point in time will probably get an opportunity to, to apply what you learned, whether the setup or when you went or you, your, you, what you thought was a shot opportunity, but wasn't, um, or how you went through your shot process, all that stuff applies. And it doesn't matter what you're hunting with. Like you're going to, you're going to eventually, like you said, wound animals and it's just, as part of it. And that's another thing I think that happens oftentimes, unfortunately with traditional equipment, because it is harder. Um, you do have to change the way you set up and your hunts are a lot closer encounters and that makes it more difficult because there's more high likelihood of you getting busted. And you do shoot based off of your skill set and you're not leaning on something uh, that is going to help you um, to, to lessen the, uh, the likelihood of a bad shot with more modern equipment. But you can't sit there and blame that and be like, well, you know what, I've messed up X amount of times with this, so I need to go and I need to use something that is more effective because that's the problem. Um, you're never going to get better doing that. I don't care what it is in life. You're never One thing. Better. One thing I've I've really learned over the past couple of years with traditional archery is you kind of have to limit your expectations, but you have to be prepared for whatever happens in the woods, you know, and that limiting your expectations doesn't mean that, you know, n anything can happen. I mean, it certainly does. Uh, you just have to you have to be prepared. And when I mean prepared, I mean really prepared because a lot can go down, especially with traditional equipment very fast. And it's, you know, it's in your face, which is what we're all after. That's, that's the fun of it. Well, yeah, it's definitely more of a challenge and, and we're seeking to just do it a different way that, you know, appeals to the way that we want to hunt. Um, the one thing that you mentioned was uh, about comparison and how people compare their stories um, or compare their situations. Well, comparison is the thief of joy and, you see that in uh, you'll see that at the taxidermy shop even so even on the, on the finished end you'll have a guy that is so excited to come pick up his buck and he'll walk in and there's four or five other finished deer that are waiting to be picked up and they're all bigger than his and you can see that uh, some people you know depending on maybe why they're hunting or you know what that deer had meant to them they'll almost deflate 
because it's like there's that comparison factor. Well, I was so excited about this year, but dang, there's four, four more that are all bigger than mine that are all getting mounted, you know, finished being mounted too. And it, 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 it's so upsetting to see that because like you said, in a hunting journey, some people are hunting publicly and some people are hunting privately and some people are hunting the South. Some people are hunting the Midwest. Some people are hunting the Northeast. Some people are hunting only weekends. Some people can only hunt Sunday after church. Some people can hunt every single day. It's all so situational. And that's why that comparison aspect, especially with social media, uh, it's a liar. Uh, and it, it can be a thief of joy. You really need to make your hunting journey what you want it to be. Uh, and that's so important because uh, the learning aspect, you're going to learn at your own pace if you're hunting and you're, and you're recreating and trying to learn about it at your own pace. If you're trying to increase the, you know, or what do they call it? Um, I don't know. If you're trying to, I don't know, make the learning process faster. If you're, if you're, if you're pushing it, you're, you're going to, you're not going to get any better. You're just going to get, frustrated and and people you know they try to keep up with the joneses when it comes to hunt they think that they need to own certain things and they need to wear certain things and they need to have certain things and they need to speak a certain way and all that is uh all that's fluff that gets in the way of actually you know getting out there like we said and making those mistakes and and learning and um i i that's what I want to see more people do is uh, just be passionate about their own journey when it comes to hunting. I mean, I love traditional archery, but if, even if you like, you know, if you're, you know, busy working person and you can only hunt like three days of gun season, if that's your thing, you know, get out there and try as hard as you can every year. And maybe you can scout a couple days and maybe have a better spot to sit than the year before, but at least you're learning something. You're, you're getting better. You're advancing yourself. And, uh, I think that's what hunting is. It's, it's an evolution of you as a person. I mean, you, you, you evolve as a hunter and your abilities, but you evolve as a person along the way. Um, you mature as an individual, you mature as a hunter, and sometimes they're not in lockstep, but, um, you start to realize and appreciate things along the way, the longer you do it, if you have pure intentions. And I don't know how I went off on that tangent, but I did. That's a good one. I think it's important. I think we're often... We fall short of the, um, just being reminded of that. I think that is, is very true. And this time of year, it's more important because what are you seeing more of on social media this time of year? Oh, yeah, dead bucks. That's and right. The day, That's exactly right. The, the day you could have went hunting and you're beating yourself up about not going because <laughs> you probably, is the day that you're going to see that, you know, so-and-so killed a buck and so-and-so's right. cousin killed and so-and-so's cousin's girlfriend killed a buck. But the thing is, is that the day that you kill a buck three and a half weeks later is the day that they said they should have been hunting and they didn't kill one. And you're the guy that I knew it. I knew it. Those guys from the inside 20 podcast, they both killed bucks. They doubled up today. You know, I should have been out there. It's just social media can be a liar. You've got to really keep these things in perspective. We, it used to be, see back in my day, you wanted to know what people killed. You went to the local gun shop and there was Polaroids up packed to the board because you had to check your deer. in. So you'd go to the, you'd go to the gun shop or the check station and everybody would have a Polaroid camera 
they take a picture of the buck, they write who killed it, the date, how many points it had, and they tack it to that board. So you check that thing every time you went to the grocery store, you stop by the stop by the gun shop or, you know, the gas station that checked deer and you'd look and see who killed deer. And, you know, you it was in your face. You know, it wasn't every time that you were eating lunch in the break room, you saw that, oh, so-and-so, they were off today, which is, you know, something to be jealous of. And they killed a deer, something to be jealous of. And they're wearing head-to-toe, this nice gear, camo, brand X, whatever, something else to be jealous of. And you, it, it's really all, uh, it, it's all a distraction that kind of keeps you from actually focusing on what's important. And that's becoming a better hunter and, you know, learning the lessons that it takes to become a better hunter and, and getting out there and making those mistakes. Yeah, and that's exactly right. I, I think that a lot of people, if they just really just get back to just focusing on learning and uh, maybe trying to seek out people in, uh, that have more experience and being humble and asking questions. Uh, I think that those are the things that are going to help you more than constantly being inundated with gear and what you don't have and what you're not able to do. Like I don't have a lease or I don't have this or I don't have that. It, it's really hard on social media in these days, not to focus on those things, but, uh, the, the, uh, the, the less that you do the the better off you're going to be and the more you're going to be able to focus on what actually matters and that's getting out there and actually trying yeah that's exactly right that's exactly right so i don't want to go down a rabbit hole of where we're just talking about mishaps or misfortune but i will say this we like asking this question because i think it is important for people to understand because They've probably seen your social media page where you've posted some, you know, nice deer that you've been able to uh, harvest over the years. And uh, at that point, you know, you, like you said earlier, somebody should see that and either be inspired or just not worry about it. Right. Or not, you know, not be something that distracts them. But there's also probably been situations to where things have not gone your way. So in that fact, can you think of a story and it doesn't have to be one that was recent, but do you, can you think of the first one that comes to mind of an unsuccessful hunt. So let's say a deer hunt, right? Something that did not go your way and how you actually, like how you approach that after the fact, like what did you do to get back from that? Or how did that affect you? If it did at all. First year shooting traditional. Um, I went down to Kentucky to uh, late season, just try to kill some, kill some does. Um, I had already killed one deer in Ohio with a tradition with a recurve and i went down there and i was like you know what I, there's a lot of does down here where i hunt i'm just gonna you know try to kill two or three and like kind of get some reps in essentially with this recurve bow and the first deer that came in i was in a just like a 15 foot ladder stand and i shot under it like left and right was perfect but shot under it and i was like hmm that's weird you know because this is the first time i've ever shot from a tree stand with a traditional bow i had never even practiced from a tree stand with a traditional bow I've killed probably 200 deer from a tree stand with a compound prior to that. But I just didn't think anything of it. I just assumed like the carryover was going to be the same. So uh, like we do, uh, we're so fortunate with traditional equipment to be able to get second shots and follow up so much because of the, you know, efficiency of the equipment. I, uh, that deer came back and I shot, left and right perfect high over its back 
So I missed it again. And it ran off. And I remember being so dejected because I thought I had like, you know, the first year I'd shot at a couple of weeks earlier with the traditional bow in Ohio, I killed no issue. I thought I had this thing licked. Um, but I, what I learned from that was uh, the importance of shooting a traditional bow and understanding you don't have the fail safes of a peep sight and a kisser button or a nose button or let off or cams or any of that and how important it is to pick a spot, how important it is to burn a hole into that spot and kind of go through your shooting process. I had, uh, I went into that hunting season kind of thinking I'm the cock of the walk. I'm a great deer hunter. I can get shots at deer. This isn't going to be an issue. And then when it came down to actually putting an arrow into them, I had realized that, you know, I, I was falling short and that I still had stuff to learn. And if anything, um, traditional archery humbled me again. It, it brought me back to understanding that uh, every part of your your psyche during your shot is important. Every part of your physicality during your shot is just as important. And um, I quickly went to a, a point after that. It was lucky that I got that out of the way early. Um, the next day I killed a doe, and then the day after that I killed another doe. And I, I was off the races from there, but right off the bat, I, um, I was pretty dejected. Uh, I missed that deer twice. It made me feel, you know, pretty bad about myself, <laughs> but that would probably be, that'd be a failure that taught me something is that it, it reminded me that I did have a different weapon and I did have to respect it and approach it differently. Um, I could still kind of hunt the same and and use the same tactics that i do to get close to deer but i really needed to focus a lot more at the moment of truth i didn't have those fail safes that i did back in the compound days it's a great lesson i think that that's very crucial if you were to make a list of the top five things to focus on if you're somebody that's new to it or somebody who has experienced you know multiple failures or have you know feels like hey i need some pointers to to find success um, or maybe you're in a slump. I think those are great. That's a great thing to have written down somewhere um, as like top five things to focus on. It's important. So now we've got to transition to something more lighthearted, whether it's this this season. I know you recently had success early season. I've heard about that story or something maybe last year or in the past recent years. Any kind of top exciting hunts for you or things fell into place? You want to take us from the beginning to the end of one of those hunts you pick. It's your choice. Let's hear that. Inside 20 is brought to you by traditional bow hunters of Georgia. Head on over to tradbowga.com for more information. And by Big Jim Bow Company, the place for custom bows, handmade leather goods, and much more to meet your traditional archery needs. Check them out at BigJimBowCompany.com. Gunshy Archery, the perfect custom-made quiver for both two- and three-blade broadheads. Check them out at GunshyArchery.com. VPA Broadheads, precision machined one-piece broadheads. Two- and three-blade mode is available. Check them out at VPArchery.com. Custom King Archery, the best price on the best traditional archery product since 1972. Check them out at customkingarchery.com. 
Triple T Strings created champion level Flemish and endless strings for hunters and target shooters using the best materials. Check them out at TTT Strings on Facebook. And make sure you use discount code INSIDE20, spelled out with no spaces, for a 10% discount on any purchase. Well, since it's a traditional podcast, we'll stick with that because I'm my heart lies with the wild turkey and shooting them with shotguns. But I know this podcast is not about that, so we'll stick with the traditional archery story. You're going to um, upset one of our buddies that he loves, and he, I say love, love is not a deep enough word. He is obsessed with turkey hunting, and that's the same way he is. If it's if it's not turkey hunting with a shotgun, he don't care nothing about it. So we might have to, you might have to share one of those stories just for him before we end this thing. But but go with a deer traditional hunt for us first. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, my uh, I I got I shot a lot of those prior to my first buck with traditional archery equipment. Um, one thing that I didn't want to do when I switched over was, uh, from shooting a compound to traditional is I didn't want, I saw, all right. So I'm getting back to like not being affected about like what other people post, but this is where I call myself out. I would see a lot of people that would shoot a deer and be like, this is a great first buck with traditional equipment, or this is a great deer to kill with a recurve. And I'd be like, well, what, I mean, any animal that you kill with any bow is, is a trophy, but like, what, what's it mean for a deer to be like better suited to be killed with a traditional equipment? What, cause it's smaller or cause it's like less smart. I don't understand. So I was like, I still want to shoot mature deer. I'm not just killing a, a buck for the sake of killing a buck because now I've switched to a traditional equipment so I can say, well, I got a buck with a traditional bow. Um, I still wanted to, you know, kill a mature deer. So I went the first two seasons, I didn't shoot a buck because in Ohio here, we can only kill one buck a year. So if you want your season to be over, you know, you've, you've got to, you've got to decide that that's, you know, that's deer you want to fill your tag on. So in 2021, it was the first year that I killed a buck with a traditional bow. And that buck also turned out to be the biggest white hill in my life. Um, I had killed, you know, deer, you know, prior to that, some big deer and uh, with guns and traditional bow or with uh, compounds. But um, this was the deer that I specifically hunted. I knew about him. I got access to the piece of property he was on. Um, I saw him in October knew how big he was, knew he was, you know, probably a Boone and Crockett status. And I ended up really focusing the rest of my season on trying to kill that deer. And, uh, I would like to say that I hunted really hard and had this grind and played cat and mouse with him. But, uh, the second time I went in it, in to sit on him, I he ended up coming by at 18 yards after he hit a scrape and I, I killed him. And, uh, that was my first deer with a traditional bow. And that was like, the highest of highs because it was like you know <laughs> it was uh great first year with traditional equipment like people would say when they would you know be somebody that perennially would shoot some older deer and then they'd switch traditional and just you know try to get anything i was like i don't really want to change this up any i don't want to change anything except for the weapon i'm using to kill the animal with i'm i'm still interested in trying to shoot mature bucks and and this is what i do and and I, uh, I was able to do so. And that, that's what made it so sweet. So I, 
I wanted it. I really, I wanted the challenge to be, uh, I didn't, I didn't want to lessen things. If I was going to traditional archery, I wanted all the challenge. I, I didn't want, um, to, you know, change what I was after as far as age class of buck or anything like that. And that, that made it really sweet to kill a really, really big buck to be my first buck with traditional equipment. And that's, that's one of like my highest to high stories when it comes to, to traditional archery. And then I've, I've had some other real good successes after the fact, but that one really sticks out. And that's what's special about it is you think about the successes you've had since then. And I'm sure there's some amazing hunts that have unfolded, whether you found success at the end of it or not. And that being your first one, there's a reason behind that. And that was a goal you set. And like you said, you, you had in your mind how you wanted your story to unfold. It doesn't always work that way, unfortunately. Like that's just how things go. And we all know that you can apply that to everyday life. But at the end of the day, it makes it special because you had a goal, you had specifics in, in mind and parameters that you wanted to follow and you stuck to that. And it might've took you a little bit longer um, than if you would have tried a different approach. But because of that, it made it, I'm sure that much sweeter when it all fell into place. And that's probably why it's one of your top stories. It's a great story. So it uh, gets me excited. I know that. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, um, that was a really, really, you know, that was a really great hill to climb. And this, the, honestly, the traditional, uh, the traditional side of things, it, it's, it allows you to focus more on, um, the hunting than than i think if you were into like shooting a compound and all the new gear and constantly tuning your bow and keeping up with the joneses of buying all the new gear and the new bow every eight months that comes out um traditional hunting really brought me back to uh focusing on scouting focusing on the little things focusing on the details of the hunt rather than the details of you know your equipment that honestly was just as good 10 years ago as this new fancy model it really it it, it brought back everything it, it made my equipment more primitive but it, it brought me back to more of a primitive way of hunting and, and interacting with the game that i chase and that's that's one thing that i just i love so much about traditional archery and i love so much about the, the traditional community and the people that i've met uh, I've made some of the best friends in my life um, in the last four or five years. People that I, I know that um, I know that there'll be lifelong friendships and we, you know, we've already shared different camps and we'll share, share more fires together. And, and that's, that's one thing that I, I wish that people would understand about it is that uh, traditional archery, there's a, there's a lot of really, really wholesome outdoorsmen and hunters that are really in it for the right reason that are involved in traditional archery. And, and I, I'm so thankful for that and, and finding that, um, in the last, in the last five years. There certainly is a wide array of, um, great people you can meet in traditional archery that traditional archery isn't their only cool hobby too. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, have you guys ever made it to ETAR? Do you know what ETAR no, is? No, yes, me and Matt, uh, Matt and I were, we were talking a few months ago about wanting to go next year, but we did not okay. go this year. And we heard from a, from a friend of ours, Al Chapman, about the time he had up there. And, um, yeah, that's that's on our to do list. 
No, it needs to be like number one on your to-do list. And you've got to go to ETAR. Um, one, you're going to see like all these people that you talk to at these podcasts and they're just shooting next to you on a 3D course or sitting next to you at a booth or, you know, whatever, like on the back of a hay wagon headed to a different 3D course to shoot. Uh, the vendors, everything, the people. But what made me think of that was when you said like people with all different backgrounds, you'll go to ETAR and sit around a fire and there's a guy that's the global sales manager for, you know, General Motors. And then this guy is a shade tree mechanic. And then this guy here is a taxidermist. And this guy here is a school teacher. And we're all you know, socioeconomic backgrounds are different, ethnic backgrounds are different, but we're all really there because we love traditional hunting, but we also love hunting for what we see it as in in its purest forms. Um, There's really no showboating there. There's no uh, gloating about products or abilities or this or that. I mean, you'll have guys sitting around that fire that are IBO world champions with a longbow and guys that are just getting into traditional archery. And that's their first time ever at ETAR. And they just so happen to be at a campsite next to us. So they're going to be with us every day. Everybody's welcoming. Um, I always say you could go to ETAR without any food and nothing to drink. And you're going to come back like heavier than you got there. Like somebody's going to feed you. Somebody's going to take care of you. Somebody's going to invite you into their camp around their fire um it's it's such an amazing place and if you're involved in traditional archery that's that's like that's the place to be at the end of july also there's no deer seasons in there's like seven courses that you can go shoot they're all like 50 different targets um you know all there's bow companies you can shoot all sorts of different bows i am in no way a bought and paid sponsor for the eastern traditional archery rendezvous in morris pennsylvania at the end of july every year but i they could pay me because I swear by that. It's like the, it's, it's such a great place to go and just get like your cup overfloweth when you leave there with archery and friendship and just good feelings for the year. And, um, you know, a pocket full of phone numbers, you're probably going to meet somebody that's going to invite you to maybe hunt their property or swap a hunt with you. And it's, it's such a blast. Also, I realize that I keep going off on these tangents where I don't realize how long I've been talking, but I, I talk. <laughs> no, this, all the tangents have been uh, meaningful paths. So I agree. Yeah, what absolutely. you said is what we have heard, and, and we're going to make a point to go. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, Matt, we got to go. We got to go this coming year. Yeah, we got to clear our schedules, man. Um, you know, um, wives that shoot, wives that don't shoot. Husbands that shoot, husbands that don't shoot. There's all sorts of people, but it is traditional only. I mean, you're, you know, you're not going to see somebody out there with a compound or a crossbow. And um, it's just, it's it's a really, really neat situation. So if you're into traditional archery, um, and that's that kind of, if, if I'm, I'm not like leading the podcast here, but if you're going to bring it back to like mentorship and being a new person in hunting, what a great way to like make some contacts and put a face to the name and there's so many people that they might not necessarily take you hunting, but throughout the season, if you shoot them a text message, they're sitting in a tree stand anyway, and they'll text you back and let you know, like, yeah, maybe you should have tried this different or, you know, well, keep after it. Or, yeah, I've had that situation before or a picture of a blood trail or a picture of an arrow. 
And that experienced person that you met at ETAR, they might, you know, just be the training wheels you need to get you to that next level that gets you to the next level that gets you to the next level to where eventually you're an experienced hunter that can pass on some knowledge. And for so many people, they can't find that. Um, you could go to ETAR and meet some people that are going to help you along the way. It's just, it's just the way that it goes. Unless you're a terrible person, you're going to make a ton of friends there and you're going to make, you know, you might even meet a mentor. So if you don't have anybody, if you're from a city that, you know, you just like, you know, like me, you didn't really have anybody to help you out. It's a great place to look. Well, I think that's a testimony if for anybody that listens to this. And, and even for us, I mean, we're, we're uh, preaching the choir here, but we, we do plan to go and, uh, and we just have to make it a point. I think uh, at the end of the day, like you just got to put in the effort. We talk about that uh, throughout you know, anything you, you, you put desire in behind it and you make it happen. And that's just, that's all there is to it. Instead of making excuses. So I think that sounds like a great time, man. Uh, hopefully we can, we all falls into place and, and on both sides and we can, uh, we can connect there even with you. And uh, like you said, other people that we had opportunity to cross paths with virtually. Oh yeah. That's, that's, it's a great meeting place. It's, it's awesome for that. So, but I want to change gears a little bit before we wrap it up. Uh, I saw that you killed a really, really nice velvet buck this year. Can you give us a story on how that went down? Yeah. Um, it's, it's not necessarily an extravagant story of, you know, uh, like I had trail cam pictures and I knew the deer was there and I had them on a pattern and, you know, this and that, um, it's essentially old knowledge. I've, I've been hunting that place for years in Kentucky. Uh, I, I my home state is Ohio. I'm about four area, four hours from that area that I hunt. And, um, my, my best friend lives down there and he's building a home. So if you, I don't know if you guys have ever done that, but it's an extremely time consuming process and he's not been able to scout. So this year we were just like, we're going to go off some old knowledge stuff. Hope we can find some oaks that are dropping. And, um, he did go out about a week before the season, put out a camera and a little oak flat. And when we went to check it the day before the season, we found that, uh, somebody else who had gotten permission on the farm, uh, had put out a corn pile and a tree stand, not far from that camera, probably not knowing it was there, but they put it out regardless. So, uh, we, because we knew the farm, we knew, you know, where there was clusters of oaks. We went and just kind of hopscotched till we found some that were dropping, hung a ladder stand, hit it really, really well. And that evening I went in there and, um, that buck was the first year that came in and, uh, he fed in really, really slow eating acorns the whole way in, um, pretty steep terrain. I'm on a bench on a big hillside. What, what part of Georgia are you guys from? Like, um, I've hunted in North Georgia, West. like Stevens. I killed a big buck in Stevens County back in 2006. We're in, we're in West Georgia. It's okay. the western part of Georgia, pretty close to the Alabama line. Okay. So, like, what's is it like kind of steep there? Or is it like flat, or what are you dealing with there? I didn't, it's, I a, it's a mix of both. Um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty good mix of both. It's kind of well, the, was, the foothills. Okay. Well, these these uh these wooded hills of like just different like mass producing trees and cherries and different stuff like that a lot of them have benches along the way and um i was on a bench that had uh trees that were dropping some white oaks 
And that deer, I could see him on the bench below me, but it's so steep, the hillside between the bench I'm on and the bench he's on below me. I lost him for like a half hour while I knew he was pulling the hill coming up to my bench. Um, And I had like 30 turkeys on the bench that I needed him on right under me. So I had a ton of eyes. I was super, super nervous, but I had my fingers on the string, holding the bow, just ready for him to pop up. And finally, I saw his antlers crest uh, the hill down below me, and he popped up onto that bench, and he kind of walked in amongst the turkeys and started, like, kind of swaying his head back and forth and, like, moving them out of the way, kind of like, hey, make a, make a little room for me to dig around for acorns. And while he was doing that, I, I drew back, and I got to anchor. And, uh, man, those early season capes, you guys know that down there, uh, like in Georgia, those, those super short hair capes, you can see every muscle in the arm, you know, in the, in the shoulder and like right there. So you have an, like a great spot to look at. And I just burned a hole in there and I made a, I made a, a great shot. He didn't mule kick or anything. I, 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 um, shot him with a VPA three blade, which I just switched to the VPA three blade this year. I wanted to try it out. He didn't even react. Um, he didn't mule kick. He ran over the hill, like with his tail up, like bounding side to side. Like he was le- like, kind of like he would leave a field, like almost like he didn't even know what happened. And then he got down to the bottom of the hill and just spun in circles and died. So he went about 30 yards and, um, I don't even know if that deer even really knew he was hit. And, uh, he sure didn't act like it. And it was just a good, clean kill. It was the opening day of the season. I sat for like two hours. It's like 86 degrees when I shot him. Uh, we got him out in daylight. It was, uh, it was perfect. And then my, uh, my buddy Joey sent me to work, uh, helping him finish drywall and doing some other stuff at the house. I mean, he, he worked me like a mule for the rest of that trip. And, uh, so I probably should probably shouldn't have shot that deer if I wanted to like actually experience a nice opening weekend in Kentucky, but it all worked out. I got me a nice velvet buck and uh, it was I would say that's hunt. worth it. Yeah, it was worth it. It was worth it. So he'll Those be acorns, here. man. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say my, my buddy there from Kentucky, he'll be up here in Ohio. Um, he comes up every year for the rut, hunts for about 14 days. So he'll be up here a week from tomorrow and uh, he'll be up here for his, I think this is like our 15th annual rut trip. So. Well, it sounds really like he's got it figured out. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I tell so, you those, but, those, um, those early season Oaks, man, it can be such a blessing and it can be aggravating too, um, to figure to figure that out where exactly they're feeding. Um, me and Matt have been, Matt and I have been taking advantage of that a lot this year and and you learn a lot on natural food sources too. Yeah. And that's a, that's a boots on the ground thing. Um, prior to yep. season and in season, you're, you know, you, you have to find that tree in, in, you know, you, prior to the season, maybe finding where you have different oaks. And then if you have a good mast year, it's hopscotching between those oaks and finding which ones have produced which ones haven't which ones are dropping which ones have and then you know putting together that puzzle of you know where is most likely are the deer coming from so what wind can i come in here on and what wind can i hunt this on and 
but that's a really a boots on the ground type thing. So it's a real interactive way to hunt deer. Like you're, you're almost scouting as much as you're hunting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Matt's been doing most of our scouting. He's, um, he's my guide this year. So it's been, it's been really nice. Oh, nice. I need a mat. Yeah. Yeah. We all need a mat, right? <laughs> Everybody needs a mat. Yeah. He goes and finds the, the hot white oak trees and, um, I go and hunt them with them. So it's, it's a really well, good, being really recorded good thing. so I can share with my wife just so she knows how good <laughs> I, she's got it. Listen, Matt, I know you all enough, but I was going to say, I bet if you ask Matt's wife, he would say she could think of some times that you don't need a mat around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yes. Yeah, guaranteed. More, more than I want yeah. to share. Trust me. Guaranteed. For sure. It's been, it's been great talking to you, man. Um, you have a lot of, a lot of wisdom when it comes to, to hunting in general and especially traditional archery and, you know, just how to go about it. Um, and it's, it's very insightful and I hope some, I hope some beginners can hear this and, and not get discouraged their their first year out. I know if I didn't have people in my life to keep boosting me up, um, you know, I could have fizzled out, but um, but I did. And quickly I learned, like the story I told you earlier, quickly I learned that, you know, I, I loved it. So it's it's good to it's good to have that um, have those people around and hear those stories, yeah. and, you know, just to keep pushing. Well, yeah, I think it was uh, Emerson ralph waldo emerson said to uh have a to have a friend you have to be a friend so in this time of year i couldn't imagine not having hunting buddies i couldn't imagine being like a, a completely solo guy that doesn't bounce ideas off of people or share just even days when you didn't see anything just texting the buddy and being like hey got skunk today i'll try again tomorrow so you know reach out and try to have a friend during hunting season it's so important it really is like you're saying it's, it's good to have those people around you i completely agree with you yeah for sure it is man it is well i'm gonna close this in a um a devotional and then a and then a quick prayer afterwards so um i'll read this to you fellas for those who are led by the spirit of god are the children of god romans 8 14 men are made to risk to encourage you to be an aggressive risk taker for god and above all to get you to act on what you know God is calling you to do. What is it, you ask? Here's a clue. Whatever makes you swallow big. When we take a risk, we're stretching beyond what we think are limits in order to reach for a goal. Inevitably, that involves overcoming some sort of fear, fear of the unknown, physical harm, fear of failure, of humiliation, or even success. And it involves adventure. There are two ways to go into your life of faith, smooth, residential, safe, boring, or off-road, twisting, riskier, and exciting. Which road would the little boy in you take? Your energy and willingness to invest in Christ is not slipping God's watchful eye. He's hoping you'll cross the line in those areas of your life that will most stretch you to be his man right now. The question for you is this, can God be trusted? The thing to remember is God is working in you and your drive will be determined by the faith that you have in him. Faith is like a muscle. It grows when exercised. Your risk decision will be made regarding the amount of exercise you give your faith. Attempting something of risk according to your faith and keeping growing in the safety of God and the trust he affords. 
what will your risk or attempt of faith today? Thank you for the faith you have given me to attempt something of risk for you. You have promised that you will lead me into all truth. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Nick. Thank you for the time we've gotten to spend with him tonight, Lord. Um, thank you for um, giving us the passion to hunt and grow as men, Lord. I hope that everything we do and say honors you, Lord, and I pray this in your heavenly name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nick. We really appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. I appreciate the biblical manhood, too. It's refreshing. Yeah, it is, man. If we don't do this for for the Lord, it's, it seems kind of pointless to me and Matt. And, you know, just like I talked about in that devotional, it's it's hard to step out for Christ. It's hard in um, day-to-day life, um, you know, especially as guys that work in blue-collar jobs. You know, a lot of folks don't want to hear that Any anywhere, not just blue-collar, but a lot of folks don't want to hear that. And You have to step out for Christ, and you have to. You have to be the man that, you, you know, you think you should be. You have to live that. And that's kind of what me and Matt are trying to do. If we don't do that, we kind of feel that this is, you know, really for nothing. And I feel like not speaking for you, Matt, but I feel like we're on the same page about that. It's it's kind of for nothing if we're not doing it for, for Christ. Yeah, man, he's the main reason that we're all here and we have a purpose. And I'm just thankful that there's this bond that you cross paths with complete strangers that we love uh just the the same thing and that being traditional archery and at the end of the day uh we love it we're obsessed with it but uh you know our whole reason and existence is and is our faith and so at the end of the day like that's that's number one but we definitely uh we definitely get obsessed with traditional archery and are thankful for people like you nick man and, and being able to talk about it and then allowing us to um to to do that at the end of, the, of our podcast so we appreciate you oh. you uh you, you being open to that 